This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. At the Home Depot, we improve things. This holiday season, we've improved Black Friday. Instead of one day of crazy, we've lowered prices now and they'll stay low all season. From decorations to dishwashers, wreaths to ratchet sets. So sleep in. You're not going to miss Black Friday. Not one little bit. Black Friday improved. The best prices of the year already here at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. U.S. only while supplies last. See store for details. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee. Ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to you. Hello and welcome to part two of the Raptors Roundtable podcast. Had a couple cancellations, so this first guest and the guest after that will be going a little bit long. So a little bit more long form, but that's okay, because the two guests are great. The first of which is my colleague over at Raptors Republic. And as I said before we started recording, one of my favorite Twitter follows just because of the, uh, the traffic he can bring onto my timeline, whether it's great stuff or dramatic stuff, whatever it ends up being. And, you know, a damn fine writer besides that. Anthony Doyle, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? It's, it's Christmas. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm enjoying the last few rays of Puerto Vallarta before I set off to go to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And the last time I was there was in August, but before that was when I was doing snow removal. So it's it's been quite a change in my life recently, but I'm I'm ready to go back and brave the cold. The cold that you spend a lot of time in, I'm sure. Yeah, we've spent we're we're going about two weeks now in weather that's too cold to snow. So I haven't had to shovel any, which is I guess a positive, but yeah. What is, I, what I can, is the scientific phenomenon behind too cold to snow? What what it, is going it, on there? It's too cold for it's basically too cold for clouds to form wow that is (laughs) um like i don't know the complete scientific reason behind that but yeah it's basically in Yellowknife at this time of year if you wake up in the morning and you look outside and you have a completely clear sky that's when you know it's if the sky is just clear blue and you can see a little bit of the sun just starting to dip over the horizon in the morning, you know that you're in for a cold day. If you see clouds, that's a nicer day. Wow. Interesting. But I guess, well, how much sun are you guys getting at this time of the year? We're, we've, I, I think we're at like four, technically about four, four and a half hours of daylight. But the thing that I think people don't really get about that, and I, I have to explain this one from time to time, is the sun... People think of daylight as the sun being up in, like, the middle of the sky. This time of year, the sun dips over the horizon. And then it just kind of stays there for a couple hours and then sets. We we don't get the sun high up in the sky at all. It just kind of... 
it comes over the tops of the buildings and then it's gone and it's it's like four hours of dusk is our daytime. What does that do? I know some people their mood can be quite dependent on sunlight. Is is there any ramifications with that for you? Yeah, seasonal depression's a big deal up here. Um it's it definitely a lot something a lot of people deal with. A lot of people take vitamin D and things like that to to deal with it. But yeah, it's it's definitely an adjustment. Um, yeah, I imagine it would be. But a fun raptor season, I'm sure, helps with that. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, let's start with the depressing, talking about depressing weather, and then we'll move on to the raptors who have lost four of six, right? Yeah, exactly. Just keeping it cheery, keeping it good. But I actually do want to talk about something you've written and what I thought was a really great column, the season of fun piece. And so I'm going to go into it. I have a couple quotes I want to read here. In your season of fun column, you said, nothing is guaranteed in the NBA ever. And it's always possible that this proves unsustainable and the Raptors have tougher sledding ahead and they struggle at some point this season. Given that the struggles came nearly the moment that piece dropped, does what you said after which was, quote, if last year's Raptors was the best team we've ever had, this year's team might be the most enjoyable because they're performing nearly as well without any of the stress over what a loss might mean. Is this team still qualifying as the most fun team? And if so... What makes your confidence and enjoyment unwavering? I still think it holds true. And I know there's, I mean, my Twitter interactions with Raptors Twitter after the losses in these last two weeks, it's sometimes it seems like a lot of people aren't having fun with it. And a lot of people are stressing on the day-to-day of like, the Kyle Lowry comes back and the Raptors lose four of their next five games. Does that mean they should trade Lowry and Ibaka, which I think is silly. But there's a lot of people who are kind of living and dying with every loss. And I just... I don't have it in me to do that this year. For me, this year is still like, they're 17 and 8 right now. They're a good team. They aren't a great team. They are losing games to great teams, but that's okay. Because, like, we knew they weren't going to be a great team. I, I don't know if anybody should have expected this Raptors team to come into the season and be up there with, you know, the Lakers and the Bucks as one of the top contenders in the league because you still lost two really good starters for nothing. And so I think where we came into the season, the expectations were about right, that the Raptors were going to be good, it was going to be a fun season, and we were going to get to just experience the growth of, of players in different ways. And then we went, you know, what was it, 15 and 4? Yeah. And we beat and we beat the Lakers and we beat the Sixers without Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. And then you think like, okay, this team lost four of their top top six players from a season ago and just beat two of the best teams in the league, two championship contenders without those four guys. How great are they gonna be? And I definitely got caught up in, in that somewhat myself too. But I think the re- the regression we've seen since then isn't so much the team being worse than they should have been as it is the team reminding us who they were supposed to be. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And I'm I'm pretty easy, probably the same way as you. All I need in a given game to really enjoy it is a, a, a nice move that maybe we haven't seen before or we're seeing it replicated a few games over and over from OG Ananobi or something interesting from Pascal Siakam. Just a meaningful step forward for any of the players in their progression seems like enough for me and I oftentimes because my Twitter 
the timeline is curated and it definitely reflects my interests and my type of fandom, which has been quite a bit more laid back and has been very content with the championship and very happy to allow losses to come and go this year. But maybe a more what's more reflective of the actual fandom is like the Raptors Republic comment sections on a quick reaction, which is, you know, obviously is very reactionary, but it's also from very invested fans. So it's not the guys who just catch a game every once in a while and think, oh, trade Lowry. It's the guys who watch every game, read the content there, but are still living and dying with every win and loss. And it's definitely, it's something, it's quite different because it, it seems like this fan base, a lot of the time, is cut in half, whether it was Valanciunas and Ibaka, or Gasol and Ibaka, or now being okay with losing a game every once in a while and knowing that the championship is in your back pocket, whereas looking ahead and not being complacent with everything. It, it's a really interesting point in time to be a Raptors fan, especially after Lowry comes back and the team seems to get worse, even though I, I disagree with that the same way you do. It's just, do you have any thoughts on that? On You wrote the season of fun, but things change so quick in the landscape of being a fan that you have people who, the large fan base is wondering, well, they're, they're winning all these games during the regular season. This means that they can win. they can win it all. And obviously you and I on the podcast before the season are saying, we think the 76ers are going to win it all. We pick them. So a team coming out of the Raptors conference, and now team, everybody's coming maybe back to earth, maybe going too low. What do you think about the overall landscape of being a Raptors fan right now? It's, I mean, it's a weird place to be because, like, on one hand, I've, you know, as a longtime Raptors fan, if you told me 20, you know, 15, 20 years ago that we were going to win a championship, I might have laughed at you about that very idea. And now it's like... We won one, and now the expectation is that we're just going to get back there easily, but we kind of forget how hard it was to get there the first time around. And so we want to talk about 2021 and whatever that means. We want to talk about this team exceeding expectations to a massive degree. And I just kind of like, I, I think it's good as a Raptors fan right now to sometimes just take a step back and say, we still won the championship. We're still the defending champions. That's pretty awesome, and that's that's where I keep finding myself after these tough games. Like the, you know, the Clippers game the other night, it sucked to see the Raptors lose like that. But then, like you know, the game ends, you take a step back, look at some highlights from the championship again, and you go, okay, this is still pretty cool. And that's yeah, it's it's very interesting because on the one hand, you have people who think we beat the Nets, and they think that they're not very good, and so beating the middling teams isn't enough anymore it's only we have to beat every team and you get caught up in that because it's that championship demeanor where it's like nobody's better than us any loss is a loss that we didn't deserve but then the the nets go and beat the 76ers tonight and it's a good team with spencer dinwiddie and if you actually take a step back there's only two teams in the league right now the lakers and the bucks who aren't losing to any teams really but the Raptors, for the most part, are taking care of business. And I think you'd agree with this, and I'll throw this to you, but their struggles, while definitely are part of their style and their play style definitely affected how they were operating offensively, but how much do you think that the tough schedule 
impacted their ability to win over this last six-game stretch in which they lost four? I think it definitely did. And I think one of the things that's probably not being talked about enough is the fact that during the time when they were missing um, Lowry and Ibaka, and even the period when they were winning a bunch of games, there was there was periods in there where there was like no practices for the Raptors. There was a period where they went like, I think it was 14 or 16 days where they played every other day. And they were traveling a lot too during that stretch. And so it's like, you're, you have to adjust changes in your rotation. You have guys coming back from injury or you're still working guys into the rotation because of the injuries. And you're also, you know, you're either playing or you're getting ready for a playing day every day. And not having that consecutive days off, not having a chance to have a day where you can take a step back and say, okay, let's sit down, let's figure out who we are outside of a game. I think that took a toll on the Raptors too. And I don't know that we really ever realized that it was taking a toll because we were caught up in the wins. But even in that eight and two stretch, there were six wins over bad teams and then two and two against good teams and that kind of is what it is. I mean, by SRS, which I think is a reasonable way to evaluate teams at this point in the season. It, I two years ago, I was talking to some uh, somebody in the analytics community who told me towards the end of December, like you could have something like ninety five percent confidence that a team's SRS is within three of where it'll be at the end of the season. And the Raptors are plus 6.34 by SRS, and plus 8 by SRS is an elite team. So we, we can have reasonable confidence at this point in the season that the Raptors are somewhere between a good team and a very low, you know, a, a very high end with a low chance of being an elite team. And that feels pretty accurate for what we've seen. But, you know, we want to ride those highs and lows. And... It's fun to get invested in every game. The Nets are good, but the Raptors might win their next four, too, because their next four games are against the Cavaliers, the Pistons, the Wizards, and the Mavericks without Doncic. Right, and so stepping away from that and getting away from riding the highs and the lows, to you, the most meaningful progression, if you could fill in the blank here, the most meaningful progression of the first quarter of this season has been what? Pascal Siakam establishing himself as I mean I would say a superstar some people might not I think it's if you said he's not quite there yet I would say you know that might be reasonable because he's struggled a little bit of late but I I think he's he's kind of put himself in that conversation as a guy who other stars in the league are going to look at as a player they might want to team up with in the future because he's he stepped out of Kawhi's shadow He's put himself in the conversation of, you know, for the first time in Kyle Lowry's tenure as a Raptor, some aside from the year with Kawhi, there's another guy who can be that dominant presence on the floor. And that's, you know, you look at Kyle Lowry's on-off splits over his career with the Raptors. Last year was the one exception. Last year was the one year where the team wasn't completely dependent on, on winning Lowry's minutes to win games. Because they had Kawhi. And this year that continued because Siakam made that leap. And I think that's the most significant growth for the Raptors. But, I mean, it's a, it, 
It's a good question because I could have said Fred Van Vliet turning into a real starting point guard and establishing that. I could have said OG Ananobi establishing himself as a top defensive wing while taking a step forward offensively. I could have talked about Rondé Hollis Jefferson or Terrence Davis. I mean, there's a lot of right answers to this question, I think. Yeah, there's a ton of meaningful progressions that have happened for the Raptors. And that's why maybe you and I, when we look at losses, we're not that caught up in them. And whether that's the right or wrong approach, I'm not sure. But at least it allows us to remain optimistic, maybe, as far as looking at Terrence Davis or OG Ananobi, Fred or Pascal. And what do you think about the rest of Pascal? Because this was something you've talked about on Twitter something you've written about is the Raptors fatigue levels and just knowing off the top of my head that Pascal Siakam is top 10 in miles run in the NBA this year he's running so much more on defense than most players can even fathom he's covering so much ground offensively getting more isolation possessions than Kawhi had last year a higher frequency of them and a lot of his post-ups, I know they had a really unique, Lewis Satsman threw it up on Twitter, but a really cool post-entry play that they ran from yesterday. But most of the time, just giving it to him in the mid-post and asking him to make do, it seems like the Raptors are really putting him through the ringer and trying to create no pressure, no diamonds type of saying and applying that as an ethos to how they're going to make Siakam better, at least in games. I'm not sure about in practice. How do you think his body responds to this type of pressure and this type of workload over a full season? Do you expect they'll dial it back? I hope they'll dial it back because I think what we've seen in the last couple of weeks where his shooting numbers have started to dip, where it seems like he's settling on offense a lot, I think that's a physical toll on his body. I think he's starting to feel it and he's making the calculation on some of these offensive possessions where, you know, early in the season, those first two weeks when he was just grabbing the league by the horns, you would have seen him every time go to the basket, take the contact, get the free throws, you know, be a physical offensive presence. Now some now he's taking a lot more of those possessions where he's just pull up for a jump shot. And that's that's hurting the Raptors offense somewhere. But I don't necessarily think it's like Pascal wants to be doing that. I think it's he feels like he if he takes that physical hit every time, it's he's not going to be able to be the defensive guy the Raptors need him to be. He's not going to be able to keep going for 40 minutes on that night. It might take a toll on the next game. And I think he's having to make calculations that we don't really want him making if the Raptors are going to be a team that finds their ceiling. Because if they're going to be that, then Pascal has to be that complete offensive player. And so the Raptors have to either find a way to take a little bit of the defensive pressure off of him or a way to lower the minutes. And I'm not sure how they do that, but I do think it's important that they look at how they're going to find that rest for him either in games or between games. Do you find it interesting that he's one of, if not the only superstar I've seen in recent memory who has dogged it on offense to save himself for defense because usually it's the inverse but I think that after the initial burst of games Siakam has definitely prioritized his defensive assignments over being able to do a lot of things offensively and I'm not sure I've ever seen that before have you I, I I'm trying to think of an example and like maybe Tim Duncan would be the best one I can come up with where you know 
Tim Duncan had years where he maintained his best levels at the defensive end, but wasn't quite the dominant offensive player that he could have been. And I, I off the top of the head, I think that's a good one actually. But yeah, it's it's rare because you know Jabari Parker said it. They don't pay you to play defense. And yeah, I don't know when we'll get to that point or if ever we will get to that point, but it's it's certainly an interesting aspect and the fact that the NBA is so offensively oriented, but guys like Robert Covington and PJ Tucker consistently change the fabric of teams' defenses by themselves and Pascal Siakam is able to do a lot of that too is quite interesting. But now that we've said so much about Pascal, the question I had for everybody that comes on the podcast for this roundtable, and the question I'll ask you now is, what all-NBA team, if you think he will make one, do you think he ends up on? I think second team. I think, barring an injury, he's still going to play enough minutes to get there. The Raptors are going to win, you know, high 40s, low 50s games, and they're going to win enough games that voters are going to feel like they have to reward a guy on the Raptors. He's the obvious candidate. He's such a great story, which always works well for media voting. Um, And I think he plays really well into what the the voters are going to be looking for. And he's he's good enough to get there. So I would expect, you know, you'll probably see Giannis and LeBron as your first team all-NBA forwards. And I don't think there's... Any way that changes, to be honest. But I think he's in that group for the next two spots with guys like Kawhi and Paul George. And I I would expect that he'll probably end up there. Yeah, that was... Most people chose second team. I think that's, that's the one I chose when I was first talking about that. I agree with second team. But also, it's kind of crazy that even though I know we are Raptors, commentators, and writers... Obviously, there's a bit of bias there, even in the best-case scenario. It's cool that we're all arriving on a consensus of Siakam as a second-team player. And considering there's a lot of overlap with the people who are choosing second-team All-NBA for Siakam, that not many people chose the Raptors to win last year. So there's a bit of the the self-awareness in us Raptors writers. We're afraid to hope for something too big. But maybe maybe the championship changed that. What do you think well, about? I, I don't know. I I picked Raptors in six over both the Bucks and the Warriors myself. That first opening round table, you picked Raptors to win it all, or are you talking about the specific round tables uh, heading into each uh, series? Going into those two series, I picked them in six in each of them, and I think when the Bucks were up two zero and we did the second round table during the Bucks series, I think I was the only one to still pick the Raptors to win that series. Big balls on this guy. Look at you. What a flex to be able to throw that out there. I I picked Bucks in six. Foolish of me. But I did pick the Raptors to beat the Warriors. But yeah, the Bucks series, for you to hold fast to that prediction after that 2-0 start, that's impressive. Stick to I, your guns, hey? Well, I just felt like, like, going back to where I was at at that point, I just felt like we had seen... Kawhi was still feeling the Sixers series through those first two games, and I just felt pretty confident that that wasn't going to continue for a full series, that he wasn't going to let himself feel that fatigue for the full series. And, I mean, game three was 
one of my favorite games I'll ever watch, probably. What a trip. They were so close to going down 3 0. It's insane. And then they won the chip. Could hardly even write it that way. It's crazy. <laughs> what a presentation they did for Kawhi, too, eh? Before the Clippers game with the footsteps. and I thought it was really good. Yeah, I was really happy they did it properly like that. Because there has been, and I'm sure you've noticed this, too. If not, maybe I'm just crazy. But there has been a little bit of an effort, I think, to wash his clips out of the highlight package from last year. There's not that much Kawhi in it. I don't know. Have you noticed that? It's definitely not as present in like when they when they show packages, but I think the I also think the Raptors understand that the fan base, regardless of how anybody in the organization feels about how it went at the end when when he left, the fan base is never going to stop being appreciative towards Kawhi. And I think they knew that that was an important moment for them. And, I, and I, honestly, I think for the Raptors, it was also a little bit of a sales pitch for the next guy they're going to try to bring in. And, you know, I don't want to name names, but we all know who that is. Yeah, well, it's also, and there's also respecting yourself as a franchise and respecting everyone else who's there. And if you're going to make every highlight package about Kawhi, even though he's not on the team, what what self-respecting franchise would do that, right? You want to make it about the guys that are there. So I understand it from that point of view. One last question I have for you before I let you get out of here. How are you planning to take in the Christmas game? It's the first one for the Raptors in the history of that team. And how are you going to watch it? Christmas Day is just going to... It's just going to be me and my son here for on Christmas Day. Because we do, we're, we're doing Christmas a little bit early here. My wife works where she travels for work. So it, it'll be me and him. And we're... It'll, we're probably going to take it a pretty low-key day and just hang out and enjoy the Raptors Christmas game. And I, I'm excited for it. I, I always love Christmas Day basketball, and I'm just excited to have the Raptors be a part of that. And I'm hoping I can just kind of appreciate it for all that it is, however the game goes. I don't know that I'll be able to do that because the Celtics are good. And I'm, you know, if the game goes badly, that definitely could affect my enjoyment of um Chris the Christmas Day game but I'm you know it'll probably be me and my son and then you know enjoying it with Raptors Twitter as well yeah I'm I'm interested I in my head I have an idealized version of a son in my future and I hope he likes the Raptors the same way I do does your son share the fandom the same way does does he have a favorite player like how how does he feel about the Raptors he I would say he's curious about basketball at this point. Like he'll he'll come by and he'll sit and he'll watch some basketball with me from time to time. But it's not it's not really his thing at this point in his life. And you know, kids go through phases like that. So it, it when he wants to watch basketball, when he wants to take an interest, I I want to make sure it's you know open to him to take an interest. But if it's not his thing, it's not his thing. You know, you can't force kids to be interested in something they don't want to be interested in. Of course. I also I also hope my kid really likes computers so I can try and teach him to code at age seven or something. And see, <laughs> see now that, my son loves tech. Perfect. <laughs> All right, man. That feels like a, a great place to end it. I hope, you, I hope you enjoyed the time on the podcast. I hope everybody listening enjoyed. But the floor is yours. If you have any pertinent news you'd like to share or any place you'd like to send the people, let them know. 
Well, I'm uh, I'm always on Raptors. I'm always active on Raptors Twitter. I'm writing for Raptors Republic. I don't have anything specific to plug there. Um, I do have a show uh, that I'm starting myself uh, on my Twitch channel with Joshua Howe from Raptors Republic. We're starting it this coming Saturday, the 21st. We're going to be doing it at 3 p.m. Eastern time every Saturday on my Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash Barolt, B-A-R-O-L-T. And it's going to be an hour to two hours of talking basketball with another writer. We're trying to bring in basketball writers from all different walks and all different teams. Max Carlin, who's a member of NBA Draft Twitter, he's a Celtics writer, is going to be our first guest this coming Saturday. And Samson, you're going to be our second guest on the 28th. How nice. A bit of uh, collaboration. <laughs> I'm excited for it, and I hope it goes well. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. I really, I always enjoy doing these podcasts. Perfect. That's, uh, that's terrific to hear. And listener, I hope you enjoyed listening. Anthony, thank you once again for coming on. Listener, um, you're going to be listening to the, the, su- the smooth sounds of Joshua Howe and me talking about basketball after this. So stay tuned for that. Anthony, one last thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we're going to get out of your hair. How's that sound? Sounds good. Here's the scenario. Your insurance company is denying your long-term disability claim despite the fact that you've paid premiums for years and your own doctor insists that you're not well enough to work. If this sounds familiar, call Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. You'll speak with me, Brian Goldfinger, a licensed and experienced lawyer who practices exclusively on behalf of accident victims, disability claimants, and their families. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. And welcome back to the Raptors Roundtable podcast. As I said at the end of the Anthony interview, the next guest is Joshua Howe, a terrific writer, formerly of Raptors.com. He wrote some terrific pieces there. Now and forever has been a part of the Raptors Republic gang. We're very happy to have him on and also host of the Writers Write podcast and also doing some work over at Sportsnet. Josh, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing good. I'm about to go home, which I'm sure everybody on the podcast has heard seven times by now in every interview. But I'm going to go home to Saskatoon soon, so I'm enjoying the last of the Puerto Vallarta sunshine. What's the weather been like in Toronto? Because Anthony had a, a very drab depiction of what things are like in Yellowknife. How, how are things in Toronto? Oof, I'm sure they're not as... Uh cold or as bad as things in the life necessarily but uh no it's been good it's been typically up and down very canada like um i mean today it's pretty nice like it's sunny and it's low positive temperatures so that's kind of cool um you know sometimes i'm at work and sitting there i look out the window one minute it's raining and the next minute it's snowing uh we had a bunch of snow like earlier this month i think and in in november as well so it's been all over the place uh, mother nature doesn't really know what she's doing but i'm hoping we get a little bit more snow within the next week or so and have a white Christmas. Yeah, white Christmas is always, it's a staple of the holiday, and it's something I'm looking forward to seeing. I, I missed out on a white Christmas last year. I was doing the Mexico thing. And you just moved to Toronto, or more so towards downtown. What mm-hmm. is the number one thing that you've liked moving from a little bit farther out to now being you know, exposed to all the the intricacies and the wonderful things of downtown Toronto. Yeah, it's just access, man. I mean, so I I moved back towards the city because I decided to jump into the sports industry, 
to hedge my bets there. And um, I moved to Mississauga because I knew somebody that was able to rent me a place there. And, and uh, I also was going to be close to 905, so I figured I could get some reps there while I was in school. And uh, it was fine, but it, it, the distance, the travel was pretty brutal. It was like a two-hour commute every day. So now actually being in Toronto is pretty sweet. Um, I'm really close to Sportsnet where I'm interning and uh, been close to pretty much everything else. I'm, I'm kind of smack dab in the middle. I'm near Sherburne, if you have any idea where that is. So I'm kind of close to, uh, you know, Young Station and, and stuff like that. So when I uh, was doing stuff for Raptors.com, for example, it only took me, you know, like 20 minutes by subway to get down to the ACC from my place. Uh, so I guess I should say Scotiabank. I still say ACC. ACC forever. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, it, you know, it's it's pretty cool, man. Just being close to everything, it's really nice, especially after you've spent like six months where it's like, well, I got to plan, you know, two hours to be uh, ahead of time that I'm just traveling, and and now it's most things are within you know twenty to thirty minutes, so it's it's pretty nice just being uh, just being close to stuff. And you said hedge your bets, and now later on in your dialogue, you were saying working for Raptors.com, interning <laughs> at Sportsnet. Now doing the Roundtable podcast with Raptors Public, how do you feel about your decision to take that leap, believe in your creativity and your writing skill, and how has the return been for you so far? Um, it's been good. I mean, it's always a little nerve-wracking and continues to be, I think, with this industry because you never know what's going to happen. Case in point, all the stuff, I don't know if everyone's seen it or not, but some of the stuff going on with Verizon and Yahoo recently. Um, some people were like, oh, they're both in the States and here on the Canada version. Um, so, so that kind of stuff is, you know, it makes you nervous. Uh, no matter what you're doing or where you are, this industry is fluid. It's ever moving, just like a bunch of industries. But, um, so, you know, there's a lot of talented people, and that's also cool. You get to work with a lot of talented people. You see how hard other people work, and you kind of just, like, blend into the um, that sort of style that everybody's doing, and, and it's kind of cool. Um, for me, personally, I, it's been good. I, I feel like... I've been able to prove myself a little bit. I've had a, a huge number of people that have been on my side and have supported me throughout this and have made a lot of the things that I've done that people have seen me do. It's not just because of me or just because I have some semblance, some small semblance of talent when it comes to writing or something like that. Uh, it's mostly because people tend to vouch for me, which has been incredible. And I try just to, you know, make sure that the people that I'm working for, that I'm not... Uh, you know, <laughs> kind of ruin the reputation of whoever it was that, uh, pre you know, gave me the uh, the opportunity to do that. So it's been um, it's been cool, and I, I hope that I've been capitalizing on what I've been able to uh, come across, both with Sportsnet and the Raptors. And uh, everyone's been super kind, and uh, I've, I've been working hard, and and it's been good. So it's been paying off. Like I, I you know, if you'd asked me several months ago that if that I'd be writing for the Raptors at some point, and even just you know, receiving emails that say, you know, from the Raptors, Toronto Raptors and stuff like that has, has been kind of surreal. That whole experience sort of felt like a dream. Um, so that's been awesome. I mean, in some ways, yeah, it's really paid off. Um, and in others, you know, uh, who knows where I'm going to be a couple of months from now, because a lot of this is, is freelance and uh, it's difficult to find full-time jobs in this industry. So it's been really up and down, but uh, I've enjoyed it. And I think to where I'm at right now, I've done a pretty good job and jumping into the industry and at least catching hold uh, to some of the things that people are offering. Well, I think so too. And it's so interesting once you see somebody go from blogging 
to now getting access. And we talked about this a bit before the podcast started, but it's really interesting because blogging is in some ways the most creative, but the least refined way to talk about sports. Mm -hmm. Even let's say Katie Heindel, some of the things she wrote before she had access are just this, it's poetry, the way some things are described and not in a way that you would generally see from the framework of writers who are normally writing about sports, but that's what blogging and opening up the industry to new people does and it allows all these different things to happen and I've been so happy with what you've introduced and your narrative driven work for Raptors.com I thought was so interesting and I thought that both of your pieces it was two pieces or three pieces uh I did five total pieces for them five yeah I missed out (laughs) yeah one was on the 905 though so it wasn't that one wasn't Raptor centric but yeah I did uh, I did the opening night uh, piece, which was kind of extra because I, I got lucky. They're doing a month-by-month thing with the with the writers that they bring on. But because I was the first month in November, I technically was able to go for the few October games. So I got a little bit of extra stuff there. And um, I wasn't necessarily supposed to write anything about ring night. But because I was there, I, I just you know let them know, hey, you, would you like something? And they said, absolutely. And I said, great. So I wrote something on ring night and... Uh, then, you know, I had a piece on the 905. I had a piece comparing players to movie characters. I had the Fred Van Vliet feature. Um, yeah, I had, a, I had a bunch of different things. So. Oh, <laughs> I, well, the, the two I had the pleasure of reading were the Ring Knight piece, which the Tokian allegory I thought was fantastic. And then comparing them to movie, people who are in movies, I thought was also really interesting. But I, I guess I'll have to go back and read the other three because... I did so enjoy the other two, and I I had a question. And your work for Raptors.com often involved narrative work, and I find that a lot of writers retrofit narrative to neatly tuck a story in, and for good reason. It's it's convenient, there are deadlines, it's a job. But as you pointed out, with these Raptors, there's a lot of outstanding stories waiting right there. How much of your writing has been spur-of-the-moment realizations, and how much required you to meditate on where the team's or player's allegorical counterpart might come from in relationship to those pieces? Wow, that's a good question. Um, Speaking of interview questions. um, Man, I mean, my process is kind of weird. It kind of varies, I guess. Um, I always see things through the lens of a fiction writer, always. I just think that's the way I'm going to be and uh, forever. And I still do fiction writing. I mean, it was... Uh, kind of frustrating, I think, sometimes for some of my teachers when I was taking uh, the journal, their journalism program because uh, it's so hard for me to um, ditch some of those tendencies. And the farther along I've gone, I think that um, it's perfectly fine to keep them because I think it does make storytelling unique. And I don't think there is one right way to tell a story. I mean, sure, there's story structure and there's a lot of things in the industry that are kind of hallmarks of the industry and reading a you know a sports article you kind of know when you are reading one um, but that's fine there I think there are ways to make them though more creative and more interesting and that you should never sacrifice your voice as a writer or your style as a writer either in ring night uh, yeah it was, it was definitely like a spur of the moment thing that's that was all uh, just it, it just kind of popped into my head it just kind of appeared there and writing it was easy and sometimes that happens and it's it's more rare I would say than typical and you sit down you know to write something two articles later and you're having a hard time and you look back at this other piece and go you know 
this this was so easy. Why was this so easy? Um, and it's just sometimes that happens, and, you, and you're writing the next thing, and it's not, and it's hard. And maybe those things are the ones that deserve to be meditated on more. And, I mean, I had varying degrees of difficulty with the Raptors.com articles. I mean, some of them, like the Ring Night piece, were super easy to do. Other ones, I did meditate on on the meaning uh, of what I was trying to get across, uh, how I could articulate that best for people to understand what I was trying to say and what the truth behind the words were, what the actual story there was. Um, I would say I probably meditated most on the Fred Van Vliet feature in a way because there was a very particular sort of um, theme I wanted to get across and uh, it, it was a theme that had the connectors through the people that I was talking to and using for um, the article and even Fred himself and all the quotes and stuff. They were all connecting to this theme uh, and I hadn't done one of these sort of big features before uh, for anywhere, let alone <laughs> raptors.com. So I spent a lot of time thinking about exactly what kind of lead I wanted, um, what kind of thing I wanted to implant in, in the reader's head right away, and uh, how I was going to carry that through um, the particular quotes that I'd chosen out of the huge blocks of information that different people had given me. And uh, so that was something that I, I definitely thought about more, and um, uh, it you know, it was a little harder to put together that sort of narrative structure. But at the same time, I think because my background is in fiction writing and in English and in literature, um, the structure usually comes pretty easy to me. I think I have a natural sense for structure, which has always been uh, very, very nice to have. I typically think of uh, beginnings and endings before I think of middles, which is very helpful for me. Um, I come up with lines out of nowhere that I know that I want to use at different points in what I'm writing, so I tend to like write loose outlines of something, um, unless I am doing a spur of the moment thing, and those tend to be really helpful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I try to look at everything as a story because everything in this industry is storytelling, no matter what you're doing. Everything in sports is storytelling. Um, really, most things, to be honest, in anything, in any industry, in any work, people tell stories. We've always told stories. History is a story. Everything is narrative. It just depends on how you look at it. Um, so I always think of whatever I'm writing as a story. And if you're telling a story, then you know not only are you trying to be as truthful as possible in some way and help somebody learn something new or uh, you know give them something interesting to read, but also it's a story. It's it's supposed to be entertaining. It's supposed to be exciting. And in this world where there's so many exciting and entertaining people, how do you get yours to stand out? And I think. The number one way to do that is just by being true to yourself as a writer and by sticking by your voice and your style once you've found it because nobody has that except for you. So I, I try to do that with everything that I write and I really try to do that with the Raptors.com pieces. But that is something that I definitely pick up from you is that the fiction definitely bleeds into how you write and I think there's so much there. And it's so interesting because it seems quite opposite from me and I've I've made literary there's lots of allegories in my stuff as well, but not, I don't think, written as well as yours. And when I write about basketball, it's more stream of consciousness, very much what's on the court. Mm -hmm. And it just, what I've, the level of basketball that I've played and the coaching that I've received is more, it's my writing is more about what I'm seeing on the court. And I so envy the people who really can wrap these stories in this beautiful tapestry. And that's something I'm working on with my own writing. So I was, I was really interested to hear your part of it because 
I do find whether it was last year where you were talking about the orchestra and how the music of the Raptors allows them to operate in a certain way. I remember that piece from last year. I just thought Josh has such a, an appreciation for telling the story in a narrative-based way that I just I wanted to dig into that a little more. But my next question is, if Hollis Jefferson is Andrew Neiman, who is the league's Terrence Fletcher? And it doesn't have to be a direct mentor of Hollis Jefferson, but who embodies the the Terrence Fletcher dogma most in the NBA? Wow, that's interesting. Um, you know, it's funny. A lot of people have really loved that comparison out of all of them. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess people really like uh, Whiplash. I mean, even uh, the, uh, the person that I was writing these for, the first thing he mentioned when he read the article was, hey, I really like Whiplash. That's a good movie. That was a good comparison. Whiplash and, is a banging movie. That movie is so good. I enjoy yeah. it a lot. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I mean, it, there was some talk about it when it came out, and I think it was nominated for an Oscar, but uh, and some different ones. And I think J.K. Simmons won, right? Best uh, supporting for that film. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, no, it's not as talked about as much anymore. I guess maybe because the the same guy made La La Land and Damien Chazelle. People talk about that more. Um, huh. I mean, I guess it has to be a guy who's kind of a kind of a hard ass, but really wants. Because, you know, to have that success and to have someone succeed um, hmm, is, is difficult. I mean, I guess so you narrow it down to the players that are leaders for sure. And I'm going to pause it somebody if that's OK. Actually, I'll say two yeah. and then we'll bounce gotta, it back and forth. OK, yeah, yeah. So you, you start. I've got a couple guys in mind, but I'm still thinking about the character. So you start. OK, Jimmy Butler and Chris Paul come to mind immediately when I think of the, the ethos that guides Terrence Fletcher. I think there's a lot of overlap there. Yeah, I think, I think those are good choices. I also, so here's the thing. I also had Rondo, but I, I, yeah, I, find, yeah. I find Rondo, I mean, I think, because this is, I, I mean, look, I'm, I've been critical of Rondo throughout his career, I think, um, which makes sense. But I also would be very critical of Fletcher as a character in his approach to things as well. So I think that kind of works out. I think maybe, um, I mean, they both seem a little, in a way, uh, psychotic about their professions. And uh, you could say, I guess, the same thing about um, Paul, for sure, and uh, maybe Butler as well. But I, there's this, this sort of weird, like, unhinged, unhingedness to that character that even though he's controlled, uh, it just looks like there's so much boiling beneath the surface that I also feel like I see in Rondo whenever he's on the floor. Like that guy just looks like he could lose it at any, at any moment. And you know that it's going to be for a basketball reason. And uh, I feel like it was the same sort of thing with that character. So that's kind of the guy that sticks out in my head. But I also like those other two comparisons. They're, they're, they embody a lot of the similar, uh, a lot of similar traits. Well, I think Rondo probably takes the cake if only for his overt obsession with Connect Four. And that <laughs> that is probably the, uh, what is it, the analogy to go through as far as relating it to the orchestra or the symphony, whatever Terrence Fletcher is at the head of. But I think that Rondo is a, a very good answer. And I'm, I'm happy to swing this into the two questions that I've asked everybody on the roundtable. And once again, thank you very much for coming on. You're the yeah. last guest, so I've had everybody's answer in my brain, and now you get to answer. And the first of which is, which all-NBA team will Siakam end up on at the end of the year? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, so I I like thought about this before the season a little bit because when we're talking about contracts, um, that was something to look at in terms of like you know the the money, the percentage, twenty five percent to thirty percent, depending conditionally on whether or not he could do something like <clears throat> win Defensive Player of the Year, win MVP, uh, make an All NBA team, and obviously we found out later from Michael Grange, I believe his article uh, that depending on what um, all-NBA team Siakam makes, he could have different percentages of his contract go up. So there's a lot of incentive there for him to make something. And I think, you know, this sort of question, like all-NBA teams are not indicative of the 15 best players in the NBA, even though they kind of uh, are me- like they're meant to be that way. Like, it's the same sort of thing with MVP, right? Is MVP the best player in the league? Uh, often not. Uh, it's often the best player that season. Um, and sometimes not even that necessarily. It's controversial. But uh, this is the same thing here. So, I mean, is Siakam an all-NBA guy to this point in the season? Yeah, I think so. Um, is he going to be by the end? Sure. I think he's probably going to be third team, if I had to guess. Um, I mean, there's obviously some top 15 guys out who are injured. Um, a lot of this is just basically how the league sees these players, I think. I mean... Remember, like a couple of years ago, DeRozan made third team All NBA, and Kyle Lowry only got a couple votes. Um, and everybody who's a Raptors fan, for example, knew that <laughs> Kyle Lowry is the guy that makes the team go. He always has been. He's he's a better player than DeRozan, and DeRozan's great and he's very good. He's not a top fifteen player in the NBA, but that was just an indication of how the league saw DeRozan and his market value at the time. And you know, subsequently, you saw the DeRozan trade for Kawhi. So. Clearly, that you know was uh, the value really was there. Um, so, same thing here. Uh, I, I would say he is uh, All NBA guy to this point. Probably third team by the end of the season. I mean, he's obviously got a great narrative, got a great story. He's got the stats, the evidence to back it up. Increased numbers, unfathomable continued growth. Uh, he's leading a team that many people thought would be so bad they wouldn't even make the playoffs. I mean, there's you know a lot of people that came out and said like. Uh, just crazy things about the Raptors that maybe aren't fo- as following as closely, but uh, I always thought it was a little silly that people were thinking it wouldn't be a play. They wouldn't be a playoff team, but um, yeah, the, the, they definitely have shattered expectations to this point, and they're right there, you know, in the middle of uh, the playoff pack, and only a couple games back because we're still early in the season from being a top three seed. And uh, I don't think really anybody expected that, especially with all the injuries that the Raptors have dealt with, and he's really led the way along with the. Uh, Fred Van Vliet. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's the guy. He's going to be an all-star. I think I can safely say that. I think uh, most people are have uh, picked him uh, to be the guy for, off the team for sure. Don't know if the Raptors will get multiple all-stars, but Siakam uh, will be the guy. And uh, I think, you know, when you look at things at the end of the season, um, it helps that the Eastern Conference, the top, you know, however many teams are just as good as the Western Conference, I think. Um, I think we're finally in that that uh, more of that parity um, like level now, where most of the teams are uh, pretty even on on each side of the conferences. So, um, I you know you still could you make the arguments that the top top teams in the West are better than the top top teams in the East, but at the same time, I think it, it kind of evens out throughout there, and uh, the Raptors are are still managing to be near the top of the pack and. Uh, I think that's really impressive for people, especially when they're being led by a guy that 
just won most improved last year and a couple of years ago was, you know, on the Raptors in 905 and leading them to a championship there. So, um, yeah, I see him probably making like third team all NBA and that's kind of where he lands. Although I'm not sure he is a top 15 NBA player when you're just laying them all out there. Yeah, that's a, a really, a really good answer. And I'm, I'm interested because you were the only person that predicted third team and the consensus was second team. So if you count seven people, there's six people on the podcast and then myself, I was one of the people who claimed that he would be on the second team. Mm-hmm. So it'd be five said second team, one said first team, and you said third team. If you could predict between Andrew Damlin, Lucas Weiss, Louis Zatzman, Oren Weisfeld, Anthony Doyle, and obviously, you know myself, I chose second team. Who do you think mm-hmm. picked him for first team? Ooh. Was it Lewis? No, it wasn't Lewis. It wasn't Lewis. Ah. I thought Lewis might go a little crazy and say, hey, it's going to be first team. I can see him being so optimistic. So, no. Okay. It was He's... Lucas Weiss. That's who that's okay. chose first team. All right. That's good. I like the optimism. I'm obviously I, a little more, I guess, pessimistic on the idea than, than most of you guys. I mean, I could see him being second team for sure. But uh, I feel like third team is kind of the spot for him right now. Unless he like really kind of picks it back up and rips through the uh, second half of the season. Yeah, it's interesting because he'll have to, obviously Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are the two sitting for most people, I think, at second team. Mm-hmm. I think that's the ideal thing. And so it's wondering who's going to make second team, how many games is Kawhi going to miss? He's had, you know, he's obviously still incredible and I'm not being, you know, down on him because he's no longer a Raptor, but he's had a down year shooting a little bit. Paul George misses some games and he's as prone to go you know, for 40 as he is to score under 10 points in a game. It's just kind of the way he plays. So it's it'll be interesting because Siakam has really, even though his statistics as far as his true shooting percentage and how he's been finishing has gone up and down, the, the raw stats have really been there. And so to see how people appreciate that and to see how he's valued over players or under players like a Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, at least for the regular season, I think is... One of the most interesting parts of this season for the Raptors is just to see how, like you said, a team that has been so severely underrated, a player that's been so severely underrated, can kind of ascend and be seen as something more than that as far as how the league um, perceives them. But that's uh, there's only one more question I have for you, Josh, and uh, I'm going to ask it right now if that's okay with you. That is perfectly fine with me. Okay, so the Raptors... The first Christmas game in history of the yeah. franchise. It's it's a special occasion for some, especially those who are in tune to the Raptors and have been, you know, shaking their fist at God, asking for a Christmas game. And there's <laughs> been many words that have been said about being not appreciated, unknown, and left up here in Canada. How are you taking in that first Christmas game? Uh, like I take in all of the Christmas games, honestly. I mean, that one might be a little more special. Uh, well, I mean, it will be just because it's Raptors, but uh, I'll be sure to be on my computer and live tweeting, I'm sure, during that game. I usually am a little more relaxed during Christmas. But, uh, I mean, Christmas Day is NBA Day for me, man. I mean, my I go home, I'm with the family, um, there for Christmas Eve, you wake up, 
have Christmas morning, kind of do all that stuff together. And then by the time you get near noon, uh, my family all knows that I've been an NBA guy and for years that's uh, that's what I've done. I've sat down and started to watch the games. So I usually go through all of them, um, eating dinner, watching them. Um, yeah, so I, I guess it's probably just going to be the same thing with the Raptors, although because they play this year, it might be more of a family event. Uh, my family is pretty invested in the Raptors as well, so maybe we'll all be sitting down and watching them play at Christmas this year. But uh, it's exciting, man. I mean, it's fun for fans uh, if, if you have you know, not necessarily any plans or if you are like me and you are uh, someone who watches all these games on Christmas Day anyway. Um, that, that could be a lot of fun that you can go and you have that uh, experience. And I'm sure some people or lots of people got tickets to go on Christmas Day, and that would be a really fun, um, exciting uh, venture for them. I, I always feel a little bad for the players and everybody involved with the teams that they have to work on Christmas Day, every, every uh, team that plays. Um, but, you know, some the good news is for the Raptors anyway that they're at home and uh, they get to host. So at least they're they're here. They're not having to be on the road and traveling. Um, can't say the same for the Celtics in this game. But, uh, yeah, so hope, hopefully uh, they, they all enjoy it. And um, hopefully fans are, are excited because – like you said, people have been asking about this and wanting this for years. Uh, I've never really been one of those people, but hey, and it's here now and might as well enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I fall under the same. I, I, I do the same thing as you. My family, we all watch NBA basketball during Christmas Day. It's just one of the things that's on the TV. And whether some of the people who aren't so invested in basketball want to tune in occasionally, myself and my brother Max, we usually are glued to the television watching all of the christmas day games and it's it's a terrific thing and as you pointed out i i have not i'm in the same boat as you as well as far as wanting one because of the players and all that kind of stuff but at least this year it's good because they're at home and then they don't play until the 28th against the celtics mind you that is in boston but it's it's a cool thing it is an acknowledgement of where the raptors are and -hmm. there's been so many acknowledgements by media maybe not for the team but for the franchise as being top tier that this year has been there's been a lot of great things said about the Raptors maybe not enough and that really says something about where they've been as a team but uh, the Christmas game is a nice little cherry on top for the people who really wanted it and it presents a cool opportunity for people to celebrate in new ways but thank you very much for coming on this brings an end to the roundtable podcast and how do you feel about being the the anchor the guy who brings it home (laughs) Um, I think you probably should have chosen a sturdier anchor. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, it's great, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I love doing this stuff. I feel like I don't get to talk to you enough, man. Yeah, I think all your podcast stuff uh, has been amazing. It always has been. But since taking over the Raptors Republic podcast, it's been incredible. You've gotten some really good guests, and rightly so. All that stuff's been really fun to listen to. Uh, the podcast with Arnovitz um, last, uh, last NBA season was one of my favorites that I listened to. So that was really cool. And uh, yeah, man, you're doing some really great stuff. And I know you're going to be uh, coming up here to cover some Raptors games for Raptors Republic at some point, too. So I'm excited for that. And uh, yeah, we should do this more often. Man. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely something that's going to happen. And we'll be talking again on the 28th when I come on the show that you co-host. But I, I see this as a great opportunity for you to take the floor and tell the people what's going on. You can direct them towards... You can direct traffic towards your page or things you're interested in, if you like. The floor's yours, man. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm gonna have some upcoming stuff. I'm sure for Raptors Republic soon enough. Now that I'm kind of back and and uh, gonna be writing there again at some point. Um, you can see my stuff for sure on Sportsnet.ca. I'll have stuff there while I'm interning for sure. Um, I've had a few articles already go up on there. One was about Siakam, did pretty well. So uh, you can go read that if you'd like. And then um, there's a collection, I think, on raptors.com of all the stuff that I wrote uh, during November slash October. Uh, so you can go there and there's the five articles there and you can read them. Um, everybody was super nice about all those. And uh, so I appreciate that. Other than that, yeah, I'm on... Uh, Twitter at Halvolution, and you can follow me there. And uh, if you also like podcasts, I haven't recorded um, my uh, Writers Write podcast for a little bit now. It's so busy, but um, that all those episodes are up and over there as well on all the listening platforms that you're looking for. I think the last one I did was, was with Blake Murphy, and we talked about the Raptors. So you can go uh, find those there. And uh, yeah, other than that, that's uh, that's pretty much where you can find me. Perfect. Once again, thank you for coming on, Josh. And to the listener, um, just so you know, if you're listening to this podcast, which you are, feel free to go over to raptorsrepublic.com. Vivek Jacob, Raptors Republic alumni, just dropped an article that I haven't read yet, but I'm looking forward to reading Vivek. Terrific writer, and you should always stay tuned to his stuff. Just a heads up on that. For me, you don't have to worry about finding me anywhere. Um, If you're listening to this podcast, that's plenty already. I hope you enjoyed the six interviews topped off by this wonderful man, Josh, this terrific writer. Josh, a last thank you. And to the listener, thank you very much for tuning in. I think there's a ton of talent on this Raptors Republic roundtable and just on the the cast, I should say, of writers as well. And it's a cool thing to be able to get everybody exposure in this way and to talk about the pieces they've written this year. So thank you very much for listening, whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. Support for this episode is brought to you by Mrs. Myers. A delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything we make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived ingredients, our cleaning products work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. So bring a little bit of the outside inside your four walls and bask in the wonder of a garden from the comfort of home. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Shop now at MrsMyers.com. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit DeltaFaucet.com slash Voice IQ to discover more.